When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's tough when one game can recap an entire season. But that's what happened in week 18 as the Ravens fell to Ben Roethlisberger for the Pittsburgh Steelers and out of the playoff picture. And we have a lot to discuss. Welcome to Pod Like the Raven. I am Antonio Barbera. Regular season in the books. Postseason starting up. Ravens not a part of it. I don't like it. I'm going to bring in my co-hosts. Starting on the West Coast with Jace Evans. Jace, I'm keeping it short. It's all short sentences here because I don't like any of it. We were even given a glimmer of hope with uh, the Trevor Lawrence MVP performance uh, by the Jaguars. And yet, it didn't matter because the Ravens didn't take care of business. We're... Uh, What's your headspace right now? I'm doing okay, Antonio. Um, I feel in some ways this might be one of the most shocking episodes we ever do because I think um, I might be the optimist on today's show. We shall see, uh, based on some text conversations we had. Um, But no, it was supremely annoying. Um, I am not thrilled that Ben Roethlisberger's career is still going on. Uh, That not only did he leave Baltimore... Uh, with a W that now the steel we have to watch the Steelers in the playoffs uh, again. That's annoying, but on the whole, I, you know, I I, I kind of said last week um, when we were talking about just that <laughs> the fifth of what was now a uh, disappointing six straight losses uh, that uh, you know I I had kind of I think mentally moved on from this season in many ways. I was kind of done watching this team, annoyed by this team, and I think. Uh, you know this particular squad. I think uh, you you said it so well. All the all the problems this team had were laid bare and uh, you know pounded back into your brain in this game. And uh, yeah, in many ways, a, a, a sad but fitting way for this season to end. I suppose. Oh, we turn from a calm uh, West Coast. Let's go to the East Coast now. Where <laughs> join me, Tim? Uh, Tim Horsey. I, I think you and I maybe handled this game a little bit differently than uh, than Jace did. Yeah, uh, to no one's surprise, I am furious and continue to be furious after what was an absolutely abject and pathetic performance from a team that I will never forget in terms of a season that I wish I could have scraped from my brain. I wish you could lobotomize this season from my headspace. I never want to think about this team again, and yet I will be painfully scarred by... The ineptitude, the 
bad luck and just the complete lack of any sort of will towards an end of a game, towards the back half of this stretch. Um, yeah, I, as I mentioned in the text group and not going to lie, behind the scenes, guys, I'm probably just going to name the episode this. I am a broken man after watching <laughs> this Ravens team, and I really don't want to talk about it. I'm the one that said a month ago, I called my shot in the, the, the beginning, the beginning of this episode or the beginning of last week's episode. I was content. Maybe it's because I went to the game and I was like, I told you guys the season's over. I am on the complete opposite side of that now. I hate everything. <laughs> my will to watch football has almost been decimated to zero. Now, once we get to wild card weekend, or excuse me, super wild card weekend, I think I'll be okay. But right now, I don't want to do anything football related. And it's because the Ravens um, pooped the bed once again. Tim, I think, I think the reason, part of the reason that this, you were in a good place and then you were taken away from that good place is because of two different things happening simultaneously, which was, as I mentioned in the intro, everything that the Ravens did poorly over the last month and a half all came together and happened in the same game. And then also, as had been happening in other games, but just peaked with this one, was all it reached pinnacle, dragged me back in. It was the most peak. You couldn't have done anything more. With the Jaguars, they'd had a lead from the first minute of the game, and they never relinquished it. They're up 20. Uh, things were coming together. That There's a chance the Ravens take a lead. They have a nice touchdown. And then through all that, you started to see the cracks and the issues come back, and it was, of course, it, in this Ravens season, it would be not that the Jaguars didn't hold up their end of this miracle uh, series of games that had to happen. But it was the Ravens who could not take care of winning a must-win rivalry game at home. Uh, I want to list a couple of the things that we started to see uh, all right around, I don't know, well, the whole game, really, but maybe maybe around the second quarter to the second half. Talk about Hollywood Brown. He dropped the touchdown. Then he dropped another potential, let's say, game winner because I trust Justin Tucker. 18 different guys got hurt in this game. Some came back into the game. Others have potentially serious injuries. Sammy Watkins just seemed to sleepwalk through this game as he has the second half of this season. Patrick Queen, oh boy, uh, he missed some nice open field tackles against bigger, slower offensive players than he is. And then Tyler Huntley was inconsistent and could not take care of the football. All of this sounding so familiar uh, from this stretch of losses that has led to the end of the Ravens season. They don't deserve the playoffs. When you play like this and it all peaked in this game, let's start offensively, guys. I want to get uh, at least a few takes here before we move on from this uh, this Ravens team. But talk about Huntley in this game. We had seen, I thought, flashes from him. I thought he looked consistent as a backup, which was amazing. I thought his accuracy was better than I'd ever expected. He stunk in this game. I don't know if it was just the speed of the Steelers' defense that was too much for him, uh, but he just was missing throws consistently. He looked like he had sort of happy feet in the pocket a lot. And then the turnovers. The fumble, which was horrendous uh, when he had an opportunity to pick it up after our center just threw it into himself onto the ground, but... (laughs) 
The fumble was bad. The interceptions were worse. Uh, I mean, what do we make of, of Huntley's performance? Obviously, it was bad, but are we at the level of, wait a minute, not only is he not a starter, but is he maybe not even a backup? I mean, what, what is the uh, end of season, I suppose, takeaway from Tyler Huntley? Uh, I mean, short answer, you're not going to fleece anybody for a second-round pick anymore uh, for Tyler Huntley, if that's what you were trying to do, because as, as Eric DaCosta loves the lottery tickets of the NFL draft. Um, look, trying to be rational here, and I can promise you I will not be for the majority of this episode. <laughs> I can promise you that. Uh, yeah, he was bad, and he proved that he's a backup quarterback. Now, for the Ravens, I think he's in the perfect situation because they build an offense around a quarterback who has his exact skill set, so they value him higher than some other people might. Um, and so I think he's got a job. I think he has a job as a solid backup. I think this shoots down, and, and all of this was hot takey or you know, lazy producer needs topic to talk about on his morning show, so he's going to do the would the Ravens be better off saving money and starting Tyler Huntley and building around him? Yeah, that's all done. Done. He is a backup quarterback and nothing more. Maybe not even a good backup. Who knows? But a backup and an, in an offense that works for him. And we're not going to try and react game to game because he has played well in stretches. But it has shown that Lamar Jackson is the starting quarterback for this team. If there was any doubt about that, which there shouldn't have been. Yeah, I, I think it, he's still a, a fine backup, solid backup for the Ravens. But I do think you, you see just um, in this game how a team can't really sustain the long-term loss of their starting quarterback. Like, they basically, uh, you know, play the last month of the season without Lamar Jackson, and they don't win any of those games. Um, and they're 7-5 and five this season with Lamar played. Uh, they're one and four without him. The one win coming against the Chicago Bears. Um, so, you know, I, I think it, it just with Huntley, it, it solidifies just you know the need to have Lamar. How critical Lamar is to the Ravens and uh, and their future, and just sort of um, you know how special Lamar was in the early going of the season. Like we're the Ravens are eight and nine today, but this could have easily been a you know five win team with a few plays don't go right. So, um, you know, I'm not gonna hate on Huntley too much, but as you said, I mean the second interception to Mark Andrews, uh, trying to throw to Mark Andrews and Antonio, you uh, wrote quadruple coverage. Uh, in our notes here, and that is literally not an exaggeration. There are at least four Pittsburgh Steelers in the immediate vicinity of that pass. Uh, Mark Andrews, ever the good soldier, uh, claimed this after the game. He said, if I just come back to the ball, that's a TD. It's like, you're being very kind, Mark, but that's just simply not true. That was an awful interception. It's even worse when you rewatch it. Like When I watched it live, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe he just threw that pass. You just threw away three points. You're up four at the time. Um, but it's even worse when you watch the replays. He, you mentioned like the footwork or like he almost seemed like he bailed on the pass mid pass, but he already threw it. Like it just looked so off. Um, and yeah, that was horrible. And obviously, it was the I think the singular play that most contributed to the loss. But uh, uh, there were you know, am I going to blame him too much for this season falling apart? No, I think he's a backup. Um, but it just proved yeah how important Lamar was to this team. But you know who I am going to blame. And this is my biggest sticking point throughout this game. And I'm pointing to two drives. The interception drive, which, which Jace talked about, and the drive at the end of the first half, which ends in a field goal, which should absolutely be a touchdown. Tyler Huntley is your backup quarterback. Tyler Huntley has not played well. You know who has played well, remarkably, 
is Latavius Murray. And some of that came in the second half, I understand. But even in the first half, he was popping off some runs, right? You have TJ Watt, who was doing everything he could to take the shine out of Ben Roethlisberger. And don't worry, we'll get to Ian Eagle in a minute because, uh, yeah, he's on my Dan Fouts list. Never again, Ian. It's Ian. It's Ian. Tim, how's it spelled? For me. I A N. That's right. So, Ian. what is his name? Yeah. Ian. We'll get to that in a second. You look at this final drive for in the first half for the Baltimore Ravens, and I'm looking it up here. The Ravens have all three timeouts, all three of them, from the seven yard line. Three timeouts, seven yard line, run game working, TJ Watt on the other side, and backup quarterback. Greg Roman, known for all of his offensive schemes. Remember back in like week five where he's like, we haven't even shown everybody everything we have. Just you wait. We're going to have so many things. It's going to be so cool. We're going to have all the stuff. It's going to be great. Pass. Short left to Devontae Freeman for a yard. Timeout number one by Baltimore. Huntley sacked, but then we get this just ghost Cameron Hayward helmet on helmet. I guess you have to call it because it's the quarterback call. That's fine. Which puts the Ravens at the three with 28 seconds left and two timeouts. And it's pass again, sacked by T.J. Watt. He gets his, ties the record, what have you, yada, 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 celebration. Have to call a timeout. Incomplete to Marquise Brown. Have to, they take another timeout with 19 seconds left. And then it's another pass. What in the hell was that? What was that? It's inexcusable coaching from a guy who you're trying to put these guys in the best position to win, and he put them in the absolute worst. Let's go to the interception. They're running the ball okay. Murray get, getting decent chunks of yardage. We're not even talking about the long touchdown run that he had, but they're constantly gashing this team that is speed on the edge. If Hayward's not there, if Hayward doesn't make a play in the middle of the defense, they're doing okay on guys like Devin Bush. And they and on third or second and six, six, excuse me, from the 11, if you don't remember, it's the first play of the fourth quarter. They're driving down the field. The run game is looking okay. They get down to the 11. They go to commercial, and I'm sitting here thinking... All right, great. Just conservative, run the ball, run it down their throat. That's fine. They they don't want this. The Steelers' defense did not look like they wanted it up the middle from Latavius Murray, who was bashing heads all game. And then they have that play where it's, guess what? It's the play to Andrews. Because guess who's the only person Tyler Huntley wanted to throw to outside of like the final couple drives? Is Mark Andrews. They all know it's coming to Mark Andrews. And so you set him up for a play in the back of the end zone, in the middle of the field, where all the defenders are going to be, and say, well, maybe you can have a check down or you can have an outlet. He's not going to look at that. He's going to look at Mark Andrews first and foremost. It's like early Lamar Jackson, and you set your guy up to fail. I've said it, I've said it before. We're going to talk about offseason stuff. Obviously, this is this Monday after the regular season, and we'll talk about some of the coaches and stuff who have lost their job. And I'm never, you never want to root for somebody to lose their job because it's, it's a horrible thing to say. But this Ravens offense needs a change. They have to have one. I'm going to beat the drum all offseason. And, and we'll talk about this later. But if they, if they sit here and go, well, you know, it was a tough season. We got a lot of fighters on this team. And, like, look at all the injuries and all the stuff we had to deal with, man. Bone bruise that apparently is day-to-day but kept uh, Lamar Jackson out for, like, a month. But it's day-to-day. That's uh, Sure, that's what it is. Talk to the doctors about that, Lamar said. That's another thing we can get into. If you have coaches who keep putting your guys in positions to fail, I don't care who's out there. It's going to be an unsuccessful football team. And I've said it before on this podcast. and I know I'm going all over the place with this. You know who I'm talking about. It's Greg Roman. Let's just call it out if you don't. If you haven't put two and two together quite yet. At some point, even if it's been successful, maybe it's time for a change. And that's what I think has to happen here. And those two drives 
as Antonio says, a microcosm of the season in this game. Those two drives exemplify the problems that have been happening this entire year, and, you know, you can't overcome that stuff. Two and two together sounds like a, uh, sounds like a pass play of this, Ravens, of this Ravens offense. Chase, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, not to defend Greg Roman, because I completely agree with Tim. I, I think his future, uh, immediate future, is basically perhaps the number one question this team has in many respects entering this offseason. But, um, you know, to defend him a little bit, the incompletion you mentioned uh, to Hollywood Brown in the end zone, Tim, could have been a touchdown. True. Yeah, no, he could have caught. He should have caught. That's fair. I'll give you that. If That's your fine. star receiver you catches the ball, uh, star is funny. That's Rashad. Yeah. Bateman, well, yes, and and that was just uh, you mentioned Antonio. I believe just Hollywood drops becoming a problem. We remember it most prominently in Detroit, but he seemed to have kind of cleaned it up. And he had a weird second half of the season. He himself said he wanted or just needs more consistency in the back half. Uh, but I mean that thanks Marquise. Yeah. But, and he hasn't gotten the ball thrown his way a ton, but for this to just rear its head in the last game of the season is just going to leave the fan base so mad at him. And now you have a guy like Rashad Bateman that Tim just mentioned, who I do think's better <laughs> and probably, uh, could be a long-term answer. It's just not what you want going into the off season to have your fans complaining about a drop touchdown. And, uh, you mentioned too, I think, or I think you mentioned Antonio, just a dropped catch on the final drive that should have effectively been the game winner. Uh, like that, that was even more inexcusable. I think it was an easier play. He had the ball. He literally just has to keep holding the ball, but I believe it was Minka Fitzpatrick punched it out. Um, but that was just so brutal. And like, he holds that on and you can forgive everything else and they win the game. But but no, now we have to have this talking point too, and it's very frustrating. And it's just as we've said, it's just everything. It's Greg Roman was bad. Hollywood Brown can't catch the ball. <laughs> They're playing with. And them. I'll defend. And then like, and and I see your point, Jace. And like for the most part, you're right. You know, I. But I think this is a gray area point in a way because it, it comes back to my point of don't put Tyler Huntley in that position because yeah. it was an inaccurate ball. Hollywood should come down with it. It hits you in the hands. You should catch it. 100% agree with that, right? And then maybe it, we glance over what happened there with Roman. But the other stuff was working, and you have the timeouts to use. Like, you have the time to use it, and then maybe if you get desperate, you can go to a play like that. And then Huntley has to make the play. I mean, this is, again, it's balance. It's coaches and players, and that it's not solely on one person. But for me, it's just don't even put a guy who has been inaccurate and bad from the start of this game, by the way, was flustered from the start. Don't put him in that position down there because the Ravens, again, and we're dancing around a little bit, cannot finish. Cannot finish in the red zone and maybe, you know, pounded it down their throat with a with a veteran in Latavius Murray rather than the guy who was clearly flustered in the moment. Might have been the better option. I, that's all. That's such a good point, Tim. Everything the Ravens just did this season was just such a struggle offensively. I believe because oh. uh, Latavius Murray nearly got it, but I'm fairly certain the Ravens are the only team in the NFL to finish without a 50-yard play this entire season. Um, and that kind of, to me, does speak to, you know, your coordinator not exactly putting your, uh, your guys in positions to break big plays. Like, everything was just such a struggle, and it was just so hard and, and, and grindy. And, like, you know, you can excuse a little bit with, with Lamar out um you know 
with Tyler Huntley, these are the point totals he put up. 16-30 against the Packers somehow, 19-13. It was just, it was such a grind, and I completely agree with you. It was just, the, the guys weren't, who were there, weren't exactly put in the best uh, position to succeed, even despite, you know, all the kind of adversity they faced, the obvious personnel issues. Um, but there was still talent here, especially the pass-catching group, and I don't think it was, you know, they found the consistency uh, they needed, uh, given the talent they still had available. Yeah, you see this game with how Huntley started and how Huntley was doing in the middle of the game, and it's it seemed he really only felt comfortable when he got out of the pocket and was able to run around a little bit, had some really nice scrambles. As a team, they ran the ball 36 times for, let's say, 250 or 249 yards. Things were working there, and in a in a Ravens team of the past, before Lamar Jackson sort of jumped up a level, they would try to run it 40 to 50 times. When you have a backup quarterback who is that many, you know, he's that many steps below, run it 40 to 50 times in all the scenarios that Tim just mentioned, and it was working. This wasn't even something that they had to force to, you know, that they wanted to have a certain number of carries. It was working well. They could have done it so much more than they did, especially when they're receiving... Options are Marquise Hollywood-Brown, who I am convinced would have dropped that end-of-game catch, even if Minka Fitzpatrick hadn't hit him. <laughs> uh, it just seems like he he doesn't have... He's like one step short with awareness in a lot of situations, and that maybe it's because of the drops. He sort of is getting into his own head, and he overthinks stuff, but... With that catch on the sidelines, he's doing like half of it. He was so focused on getting his feet inbounds and not having the heels touch that he forgot that there was a defender or didn't notice that a defender was going to hit him and so he loses the ball easily drops the touchdown on a third down play he catches a ball and he's like heading to the sideline and he's caught it at like six yards on a third and eight and he's pushed out of bounds sure he's a small guy but he had there was no sense of where the first he didn't reach for the first down marker he didn't even try to turn up field and it's these little you gotta be bad. It's year four for him, three for him, for Brown. You you gotta make plays at a certain point. It's like consistency and and being a playmaker. That's what makes wide receivers stick in the NFL. And that is what he has admitted is what he struggled with the entire second half of the season. That's not gonna fly. So it's just something else to add to. I didn't even include the Roman stuff at the top of rearing its ugly head. It was so many things packed in to one game, and that's why Tim and I are sad, and I don't understand why Jace <laughs> is just is just sort of running. <laughs> I, I may have just put Jace up Jace is a rational journalist. That's what Jace is. <laughs> no, that's I, why. I probably just constructed mental barriers around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I said that. I saw Jace's, one of his early texts in the game, saying that he was so... Uh, unbothered and i think i remember either saying or thinking like this is he's done this for himself this is just something that jace is it's good it's good that jace has done this he's created healthy some nice walls. yeah yeah it's it's for his own safety uh <laughs> and we haven't even talked about the defense oh which played pretty well and yet what happens to this defense in spots they cannot get off the field and boy didn't they in two key <laughs> spots in this game I'll let you guys sort of give give some analysis here, but it's the back-breaking touchdown drive to give up the lead in the fourth quarter. And it's the OT, the overtime drive 
that, in my opinion, I w- I'm so I, this may be embarrassing, but whatever. Uh, it's the last week of the season. I'm, I'm as Tim mentioned, <laughs> I'm I'm a broken man. I was lying on the floor watching the overtime drive because of how upset all the players were making me. On the th- they, the Steelers convert a third and seven, a third and nine, and a fourth and eight because they don't they have no interest in trying to tie a game because it does nothing for them. So they're trying a fourth and eight from midfield. By the I think by the third and nine, I am lying on the ground just hoping, <laughs> and that's like my body telling me. You know what's coming. You've you've seen it all season. You've already seen it at the end of regulation. That's what this defense is, and I hate it. And I'm a broken man. Uh, missed tackles, open receivers, inability to sack a 39 year old, overweight, injured man with arthritis, and it leads to a chip shot field goal, and the Ravens officially lose this game, even though in our hearts it was lost hours earlier. Uh, let me stop. Guys, thoughts on uh, on the defensive performance? Uh, it was, I mean, so perhaps this is why, Antonio, I, I was not as angry as I feel like I was just so mentally prepared for Ben Roethlisberger to rip my heart out. And it's like, I've seen this movie so many times before. Like, it still made me mad and annoyed. Like, I, I would say the feeling I had was just annoyance more than anything. Like, you were like, like the, especially on the fourth down, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe they converted that. Because it's like, I thought it was like tipped at the line of scrimmage. It was a horrible looking duck, and yet none of these players are able to, to make a play on it. And, and I think for me, this, it's weird. I leave this season, I feel like, as frustrated as I've been, by Greg Roman and kind of want him gone on a personal level, <laughs> at least not, as we said, not to wish people out of jobs, but uh, I do think it's time to make a change. I think I actually leave this season more disappointed in the defense and more annoyed by this defense. Uh, and I think greater, honestly, concerns about this defense long-term going forward. Because Lamar Jackson, in theory, will get healthier again, right? He won't have a bone bruise for the entire rest of his life. But, um... It's day to day, Jace. It's day to day. But aren't we all, Tim? But, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, like, yeah, just this whole, really, the whole season. You know, they started off historically bad for the Ravens. I mean, this this ends as uh, the uh, the Ravens finished thirty second in the league in pass defense. No pass defense was worse. This is the worst pass defense in the history of the franchise. And I think for, you know, as a Ravens fan, I, I feel like, you know, we, not to say we have a greater appreciation of defense, but we know what good defense looks like. We know what great defense looks like. And this is just a horrible defense devoid of playmakers. Uh, for me, it's just, that's been the annoying thing. And like, you, you watch their post-game comments and the, these, the coaches, Harbaugh and the players, Josh Bynes mentioned it, you know, everyone, Calais Campbell talked about it. They're, they're not finishing games and they're not making... Uh, the big play when they need it. And I think that was been what's discouraging for me is like on defense, they just like don't have any special players right now with like Marcus Peters hurt with Marlon Humphrey hurt. They don't have anyone who really makes a difference. They have some fine guys and guys I'm excited about, but there's no one who tips the needle. There is no TJ Watt. There is no Cameron Haywood uh, on this defense. There is no Minka Fitzpatrick punching out a play, a ball on a critical down. Uh, and it's just, it's just, it sucks. <laughs> and I think that's for me the the thing that's hard. And then you know, with Lamar out, I feel like you could say the same thing about the Ravens' offense. There's just, 
like outside of Mark Andrews this season, he was spectacular. But like everyone else, it's like who was special on this team? And that's a lot of the injuries have a lot to do with it. But there's also some questionable draft picks. You mentioned Patrick Queen has not worked out how we hoped he would be, certainly. And uh, like. Yeah, there's just no one to make a difference. They needed someone to step up and make a big play. And in the past, that guy's been Marcus Peters, and he was hurt. And then no one else filled that void this entire season. And there's just big concerns for me on that side of the ball going forward. They need help at every level. And <laughs> that's not easy to fix in one offseason. Yeah, there's a lot of things here. One, um, you know, we railed on Queen early. Um, I think a lot of Ravens, the Ravens fan base has kept that opinion throughout the season I thought that he had improved remarkably since moving to the weak side then he made some plays early in this game and um and then he was bad again and he (laughs) plays too fast he plays too fast he can get there quickly but then he does he misses tackles because he over pursues all the time every single time you see that and Jace I think your point is incredibly well made on this defense and you can talk about playmakers, and and uh, shout out to you. You had this early. You had this week two, three. We were talking about this, and Marcus Peters goes down. Right, playmaker, risky playmaker, but playmaker. <laughs> Marlon Humphrey, did he make any plays this year? I mean, he played a lot of the season. Did Marlon Humphrey make any plays this year? Antonio is shaking his head vehemently in the no direction. No, he did not. Think about the guys coming back. Think off the top of your head, your starting defense, right? Adafe Owe is a rookie that could improve. Brandon Williams is on his way out, and he's a nose tackle. That ain't a playmaker. Uh, Most likely on his way out. Cap situation probably means he's not going to be a Raven. That's what everybody kind of assumes. We'll see what happens. By the way, I read Marcus Peters. If they get rid of him as like a $10 million cap cap relief or something, which the Ravens love doing for guys, he is 29 right now. He actually just turned 29 yesterday. Happy birthday, Marcus Peters, as we record this. So on Sunday, happy birthday. We lost to the Steelers. (laughs) Um, I worry about this defense because they have a lot of Chuck Clarks, but they need guys better than Chuck Clark, and I love Chuck Clark, and I can say this because I'm a Chuck Clark stan, the number one Chuck Clark stan on Pod Like a Raven here. Solid player, smart player, can play in a versatile defense, can play multiple positions. And even with the two picks against um, against Matt Stafford, who just loves throwing picks nowadays <laughs> anyway, doesn't make enough plays. These guys do not make enough plays. And you saw, I mean, noodle arm Ben Roethlisberger's out there giving some balls up, and they just can't capitalize on it. Deshaun Elliott, when he comes back, is he going to be that guy? No. And what I worry about, is you get in this cycle, and the Ravens are, look, the Ravens are historically a good team, a strong team, but you get in a cycle of improving one side of the ball, and then you don't improve the other side of the ball. Remember, Lamar pops off, and then it's for DaCosta. It's get offensive playmakers, and they go and try and get a bunch of offensive playmakers, and now the pendulum is swung the other way, where now, now you need defensive guys, now you need defensive guys. By the time you load up the defense, your guys like Hollywood are gone because you're not going to pay him the money he thinks he deserves, and you shouldn't if, if this if this continues. Rashad Bateman, if he continues to progress like we think he's going to, is going to need a payday, as is J.K. Dobbins if he comes back healthy. They've locked up Gus Edwards for a couple more years, but maybe that guy is somebody, and then the pendulum's going to swing the other way. And I worry about it, and again, Antonio nailed it. Microcosm of the season, right? The microcosm of that was this game because – when the offense was playing piss poor, the defense was good. I thought the defense was really good at the end or at the beginning of the game there, excuse me. Then when the offense 
let's say, started to figure things out a little bit. I wouldn't say they were good, but figured th- some things out, like giving the ball to Latavius Murray, which actually was working, and then you continue to do it. The defense faltered, and Ben did his Ben thing. Um, what's bothering Tim? We're just going to do it right here. <laughs> ben didn't necessarily do his Ben thing, right? I'm tired, and the, the reason I hate that they're still in the playoffs here. The suck fest of Ben Roethlisberger needs to end. I, and, and purple tinted glasses, I know. The guy, sure, went down the field and won the game. He had some wide open dudes. He was throwing 10-yard comebacks that went six yards, and they were giving Chase Claypool reverse, uh, reverses. When Ian Eagle breaks out the middle, the two middle names, and I don't even care. I'm not, I have two computers in front of me. I'm not going to look it up. Like Benjamin Allen Todd Bartholomew Roethlisberger the fourth or whatever the hell he said was the most self-indulging BS of all time. Like Collinsworth levels of self-indulging, Dan Deerdorf levels of I think I'm better than you and I know it levels of self-indulging talking about I know his middle names and look at what he did. He's not that good, by the way. Sneak preview, Chiefs by 30. Take it minus 30. They're going to beat this Steelers team, and I'm confident of that. Because he's not good enough, but but it's this narrative spun thing the entire time. But to the other part of what's bothering Tim, the Ravens' defense are the reason that we got these moments from Ian Eagle that almost made me throw my TV out outside. Because it he's allowed to spruce up this fake narrative of Ben Roethlisberger and another Titanic performance when he's not the reason they won that football game. Let's be very clear about that because the defense wouldn't make the plays. And it was third and eight. Like Antonio said, they get the, they throw the ball as, as many people point out the smart football people on Twitter point out they third and eight, they throw it five yards, but the guy makes a play and gets eight and a half. And then it's a first down, but that's Benjamin Allen, Todd Roethlisberger jr. Like what a play he made. He didn't make a play. He, he can barely throw the ball anymore. He got it four yards down the field. Najee Harris makes an incredible catch and is able to move the move the chains up the field. He did that. Credit the, credit Najee Harris, by the way, the guy with the amazing story who has helped a bunch of people from like his hometown and was a foster kid and all this stuff. Credit that guy. That guy's fine. Don't credit the old and we don't have to bring up past things. Forty year old quarterback who can't throw the ball anymore. But the Ravens defense didn't make their plays and that's why they were able to push this narrative and it. Just yeah. Overall, again, name of the episode. I am a broken man because of it. Yeah, we almost got the greatest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't even uh, know how to reply. I'm just uh, like, oh, we man. almost, <laughs> we almost got the greatest Tim poetic justice of all time with the Sunday night football game, which we will talk about later. Oh. We can't have that either because we can't get, we can't have nice, we can't have nice things here. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are some issues with this roster you guys have both pointed that out there is work to be done uh the the bad news is that there's not a lot of cap space the good news is that there are a lot of draft picks um yeah you you think about like using playmakers i mean blue chippers like how many does this team have and how many do the current playoff teams have especially the upper echelon teams which the ravens are supposed to be uh, when they even with the roster they have right now with with healthy players, Antonio, uh, and not to cut you off, I'm sorry. Like not even blue chippers where you're thinking of like I don't know why this guy comes first, but like Tyron Matthew or um, Jalen Ramsey, whatever Aaron Donald, like if these guys. Think of a Max Crosby. What is Max Crosby for the Raiders who 
Fourth quarter, steps up his game like no other. We saw it week one when we were all in Vegas watching that game of just getting after the quarterback in the biggest moments, one-on-one. Now he does the TJ Watt BS of going against the right tackle, but we don't need to bring that up. One-on-one, I'm going to get to the guy. The Ravens don't even have that guy. And they brought out Sizzle, who came out for the game in the Bane outfit, and that was awesome and probably the best part of the day. Could have suited up for one game and made more of an impact than the pass rush did for the Baltimore Ravens yesterday. And like they just don't even have that type of blue chipper, which is yeah. annoying. We don't have mean players. Like I, I don't like the Steelers. I don't like Hayward because he's a Steeler, but that guy is mad at everyone and plays like it the entire time. And he plays better, visibly plays better because of it. As if everybody has pissed him off and he has to like right every wrong. And that translates to his game. We don't have anyone on our defense that has that, much less, as Jace mentioned, a defensive player who can catch a football with Peters Such a good point. out. Uh, Brandon Stevens, he he was the offensive player who now plays defense. He dropped an interception. If you want some poetic justice there, <laughs> he's supposed to have the best hands of any player on the defense. And had a ball. Now we know why he switched. To try to play a defensive position. Ball, he did, like, he, oh my gosh. He didn't even look like he knew how to, like, the hands were in the wrong spot trying to catch it. It hit him off the shoulder pad. And there are issues. And I part of me for large stretches of this season has thought, look, any NFL team, when you have 18 players on injured reserve, they're going to play bad. And, you know, the tax man's going to come or whatever. Like, at a certain point, you're going to start losing games that you've been able to to pull out but the other part of me now is this is a 14 win team that turned into an 11 win team that turned into an 8 win team with an extra game and I'm concerned that it is the window already closed guys we're gonna pay Lamar we have holes players get hurt and we're gonna be even more strapped financially than we were before and I'm a little concerned about the long term of this team so with that Final point for the Ravens before we turn to the NFL. Uh, yeah, this is me talking also, <laughs> saying this stuff. Final reviews, final thoughts for this team. We're going to have, you know, we'll do the season reviews weeks from now, but final thoughts from this game. And talk me off the ledge here. Like, are there pieces here? Is Am I wrong? Is this going to be uh, an 11-win, 12-win team again? Uh Yes, and let, let, let's start with the very positive first. Um, so the Ravens finished last in the AFC North. Uh, as of Monday, as of recording, the opponents have been confirmed. So let's just run through these very quickly. Obviously, your division opponents, home and away, Steelers, Browns, Bengals. Uh, let's, go, let's go away first, the teams that we don't face at the bank. The New York Jets. The New York Giants. The Jacksonville Jaguars. New England Patriots, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and New Orleans Saints, away from home. The last three, not great, but guess what? Joe Judge is still around, apparently, so we get to go up to the Meadowlands and have some fun there. Home, like I mentioned, the three divisional games. The Buffalo Bills, tough. Miami Dolphins, the Atlanta revenge Falcons. Game. Yeah, right. Miami Dolphins revenge game, the Atlanta Falcons, the Carolina Panthers, and the Denver Broncos. Now, if Aaron Rodgers isn't playing for Carolina nor Denver, which who knows, or Russell Wilson or what have you, these teams looking for a quarterback. I'm feeling pretty confident about that. Um, on the personnel and actual future of it, outside of, because, you know, the schedule could change completely. Tim, real quick uh, on yes. this. I didn't realize the Broncos were on the schedule, so that's a great opportunity for Vic Fangio and that crew 
to right the wrong of this season when they were so mad uh, about how the Ravens tried to, you know, do things positively on offense, and only they did, and not the Broncos in a blowout. So that'll be it'll be good to oh oh I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing something on the ticker here. Vic Fangio out, Broncos not in the postseason. I think we talked about this weeks ago, so I just had to make sure that uh, that was out on the airwaves. So now please continue. I was, personnel. I was going to say, do you mean when uh, Vic Fangio was coaching this defense into a top three unit in the league? That's what I thought you meant as the Ravens. And I love you, Wink, but, you know, questions there too. Um, in terms of in terms of player personnel and stuff, I think you have to shade it with the, I, I don't love this over-optimistic, well, our guys are fighters and everybody will be back. Because guess what? Coming back from injuries is hard. And the fact that a lot of these were season-ending injuries, we didn't even talk about Tyus Bowser towards Achilles, like at the end of the season, these are tough injuries to deal with. And you never know if a guy, it, it's different nowadays, I know. You never know how a guy's going to come back from an ACL. You never know how a guy's going to come back from, you know, terrible elbow injury, what have you, whatever it was. Um, and, and especially guys, you know, Marcus Peters in football years, a bit older, a bit older, 29 coming off an ACL. It's going to be tougher. All that being said, the blue chippers of this team, as Antonio talked about, are coming back. Let's just think about let's think about it from a positive point of view. If they come back and they come back healthy, think of this team: <laughs> Ronnie Stanley, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, uh, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, like very Deshaun Elliott, who maybe not a playmaker, but an absolute missile in the defensive backfield, who did who was okay for the team when he was there. Important, important, important guys to this team. So I think Lamar Jackson, by the way. Yeah, forgot to mention him because you just forget that it was day-to-day. It's day-to-day. It still just irks me the wrong way, but we don't have to get into that. I think I'm, I'm optimistic based on what happens, you know, and we'll see what happens in the offseason, what have you. I'm, I'm relatively optimistic, but I also understand that we cannot go into next year going Super Bowl team again. Super Bowl team, like, oh, got to do it this year. That's the expectation. Because I think we've found, and, and this is the pessimist in me right now, the I am broken man. I don't know if the Ravens are at that level. And maybe they just proved me wrong, and they've certainly done that before, but I just don't think they're there at, at, current, at current standing. Yeah, I, it's funny. I see like both sides of uh, um, the argument. Uh, on the one hand, I, I, you know, <laughs> sometimes I look... Uh, go back and look at my older tweets uh, from earlier in the season because I feel like it informs, uh, it helps inform me, uh, you know, of what I thought about this team at certain points uh, and maybe how those ideas have evolved. And now I don't share every single thought about the Ravens like I uh, once did as perhaps a 20-year-old man, but uh, um, I, I looked, I found this tweet from myself that I tweeted, I believe this was the day uh, that both Marcus Peters and Gus Edwards tore their ACL. Uh, I wrote, The vibes are cursed for this Ravens season already. Shades of 2015. Expectations for what this year can ultimately be should be reset. That being said, I still think the squad can compete for the playoffs as long as Lamar is around. I don't want to go all Jeremy Roenick and say, once again, I am right in my analysis, but I feel like I don't know if I was just defending myself emotionally all season, but I feel like before the season even began, I kind of knew or felt like I knew what this season would be with these injuries. And I do think the injuries played a huge role. I mean, to just have that many key guys, I mean, your entire, your running backs are gone. 
before the season even begins. And to just have to try to, to, to change the thing you do, running the ball on the fly with different backs, um, was really hard. And I think certainly Mark Peters, obviously not big around, didn't help and all the other injuries. Uh, and, and even just the small ones, like, you know, Calais Campbell misses games here and there, like guys get beat up along the way. So in some ways, I am optimistic next year. You'll get these guys back. I think, uh, you know, despite I think some of the quibbles we've had with the coordinators, I think, you know, the Ravens just competing every week. Aside, that Bengals game aside, when they were really super injured, um, informs me at least that John Harbaugh is a great coach, uh, certainly, and has done a great job. The concern I think I have long-term and why I see both sides of it is because, like you said, Antonio, windows close quickly in the NFL. Things change. Uh, this year, half the playoff teams are new from this year, uh, between this year and last year. Things change very quickly. And, you know, that's why I, I see both sides of it. Because I think there are more glaring issues unrelated to the injuries that the Ravens had this season, you know. Injuries, sure, but the defense was actually, or at least a little bit of time, more healthy than the offense entering the season. And they posted the worst unit in franchise history, basically. And, you know, the finishing we talked about, they finished sixth in yards and 17th in points scored, which is incredibly hard to do on offense. Um, There's just, like, long-term concerns like that. I think even with Lamar... You know, we saw the brilliance, but then he regressed. And I don't know. I, I don't want to say I don't know what he is because um, I think he's a good quarterback. But I also don't know that he's as great as some of his most uh, pro Lamar people say he is. Uh, I think he's a very good quarterback with clear flaws. Um, so I have concerns. That being said, I am very excited entering this offseason as well. Uh, in a way, I have it. You know, the Ravens are drafting 14th, which is their highest uh, uh, pick since they drafted Ronnie Stanley, six overall since that 2015 season. Um, and only, yeah, like their second top 15 pick in 20 years. <laughs> I think Ohlone Nada was like the last time they picked as high as 14. So it's exciting. There's going to be some big names on the board when they draft. Um, and that's exciting. I think draft season is exciting. And, uh, there, but there's big changes ahead. Bradley Bozeman's a free agent. Calais Campbell might retire. We meant to, I believe Tim mentioned Brandon Williams. So there's change on the horizon, and maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. I don't know. It's a weird point. I think the Ravens are a solid franchise, so that keeps me optimistic. But this this season, you know, it leaves you going what if a lot. Uh, But to quote the great Jimmy Smith, who also might be a player uh, retiring here, uh, if if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. (laughs) And Yeah, I don't know. As Tim said, I'll think of this season forever, and I'm glad it's over. That was a strong, strong summation from you guys. Hopefully, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to stay optimistic in the offseason. And then uh, when uh, the Vegas over-under wins come out and Baltimore is like eight and a half or something, then that's the, there's the opportunity, and that's and that's how you prosper. All right, let's get away from this horrible, ugly, <laughs> no good finish. And we're going to do the random Raven. We're going to do it now. And then go over the NFL playoff picture. So, Tim, you were up this week, so why don't you hit us with the random Raven? All right, uh, I'll be quick here. Um, the clues are are pretty vague, and admittedly, it's not because I think this is an easy one. It's because there's not a lot of clues about this guy, but <laughs> we'll see if you guys can get it anyway. Clue number one, this player was drafted in the fifth round of the 2003 NFL draft by the Ravens. Clue number two, he played his ball, his college ball at Illinois, and while he was there, he was a two-time first-team All-Big Ten selection in 2001 and 2002. 
During his nine-year NFL career, he played for the Ravens, the Jaguars, the 49ers, the Browns, and then the Raiders in that order. Clue number four. In his third season for the Ravens in 2006, the 13-3 year, he started every game on a Ravens offensive line that also featured Jonathan Ogden, Kedrick Vincent, and former random Ravens Mike Flynn and Jason Brown. After that season, he was signed by the Jags on the first day of free agency and started 31 of 32 games for them in his two seasons in Jacksonville. And clue number five, his number has been worn by another former random Raven, Willie Anderson, and current Raven, Ronnie Stanley. I thought I had it until that last clue, and now I'm, I'm all thrown off. I mean, he, a guy that I saw his name on Pro Football Reference, and I went, that's a guy. That's a random Raven. A guy that like seemed like a perennial backup, and then I was surprised that 13-3 and year was there. I will, I'm not going to give it too much away. Was an offensive lineman for them that started every game. Yeah, you gave us the other four. I mean, that, 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 should, be, uh, that should be enough. But we will see. I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a name. We'll see at the end of... Uh, if by the end of the episode, either Jace and I have uh, have something to do there. But that's an excellent choice. Tim, let's turn now to the NFL playoff picture where some things happened this weekend. Saturday games, Sunday games, a lot of, lot of stuff. Uh, the Steelers, obviously, won. They are in. Um, the Las Vegas Raiders played against the... I don't know if I should list all the teams first or just go with the games that were ridiculous. I suppose let's start here. This is the best place to start. The Colts, they are out of the postseason because they lost by many points to the hapless Jacksonville Jaguars. We talked about it last week. It was the Trevor Lawrence have the best game of your first season game. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> many completions, many yards, many amazing throws. And then the other side of it was, can Wentz Wentz in a pressure moment? And he absolutely did with several turnovers, could not score, could not move the ball. And they lose big time. I don't know if you guys were watching any of this. Obviously, it was happening happening at the same time as the Ravens game. But, uh, Jace, how? What? This was Why? the most shocking result of the day. And there was some crazy games. It was a wild day of NFL football. But this was easily the result. Like, for me, leaving Sunday... And I think it will get overshadowed by the events that happened Sunday night. <laughs> we can get into that. But um, this was the most important game of the day because it set the stage for everything we saw after. And um, it was stunning. I mean, the, the Jaguars looked awful. There were, you know, possibly hundreds of fans wearing clown outfits in the stands uh, based on how horrible the Jaguars have been. There's a lot of discontent in the, the Jacksonville fan base. And rightly so. They went 1-15 last year, drafted a guy viewed as a generational quarterback, and were 2-14 entering this game in the worst team in the NFL and you said it they put it on him they held John Jonathan Taylor down to 77 yards the, the Jaguars defense was awesome the Jags scored 24 points for the first time all season or more than 24 points um, and you mentioned Lawrence he had two touchdowns for the first time in a game since his the first game of the season like he was just I, it made no sense it was like you watch the game you would say yeah Jacksonville's the better team because they just dominated the game from like start to finish and it it was just a shocking result for a team with everything on the line. And it was weird. Like, 
uh, I was at a buddy's place, and while we had, he has an incredible uh, four screen setup. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> with his bro- him and his brother's uh, place, and so we had the Ravens on one uh, on the top right TV, but then the big screen with Red Zone going. So we uh, I saw pretty much all the all the happenings in the early window. And, yeah, every time they cut back, it was just the Jaguars dominating the game in some way, shape, or form. And it was, it was the most surprising result of the day for me. And I mean, the Colts. I mean, it's the most embarrassing loss of the season. Just <laughs> full stop. Like you had a chance to win it in against the worst team in the NFL, and you lost. Somehow the Colts haven't won in Jacksonville since 2014, which is incredible when you consider the Jags won one game last season and it was against the Colts at home. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was just shocking. It was shocking. And now the Colts uh, don't make the playoffs and still owe the Eagles their first round pick um, from yeah. the Wentz trade. <laughs> That part, that part is crazy to me. And first of all, the 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 shock that isn't a shock, the thing that's least shocking is you said it was him and his brothers, and not him and his wife's place with the four <laughs> TV setup, which makes sense. Um, shout out Jeff. <laughs> shout out Jeff. If trust, I'm I'm incredibly jealous. I have to move the second TV out just for red zone, but to have four, oh my goodness, it was glorious. Um, my biggest thing, and it might be a little bit obvious, and I did watch a decent amount on the red zone because you're following this game because you think. Ravens win, uh, Colts lose. Obviously, if you don't know, the Patriots losing knocked the Ravens out anyway, so shout out Belichick, you're the best. Um, (laughs) Not that it mattered because we couldn't do our job, but in the biggest game of your season, let's call it what it is, against a team who is notoriously bad, I know their defensive line showed up, I know Josh Allen is is a bona fide player for the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is nice because they don't have a ton. You give your running back, who finished the season with 1,811 yards, 18 touchdowns, and on over 300 attempts, 332 attempts, averaged 5.5 yards a carry. You give him the ball 15 times. <laughs> 15 times for 77 yards. If I'm, I, I, I'd listen to, you know, I listen to the Pat McAfee show a lot, obviously former Colt punter, so they did a lot of this on this on Monday as we record. He was furious, and there are questions, and, and it's, it's, it sucks because I think Frank Reich is a really good coach. I really do. But there are questions about Frank Reich, a guy who you think probably was the one who wanted Wentz because Wentz, he was in Philly with Wentz. The, Wentz almost won an MVP with Reich before he got hurt. Obviously, the Super Bowl happens, the whole Nick Foles thing, yada, yada, yada. You would assume that he plays a big part in bringing Wentz to Indy. And conspiracy theory here, but maybe gives him the keys to the castle and says, hey, go win this final game for us. And basically abandons the run game. And it's not like at, at halftime, this game is 13 to 3. It's not like it's, it's a massive, massive deficit or anything like that. Wentz throws some back-breaking interceptions, just does what Wentz does. You don't give it to your guy who could should have been and probably won't be because it's a quarterback award, unfortunately, but should have been an MVP candidate in Jonathan Taylor, the running back. And, um, I mean, don't cry for me, Argentina. I don't care. I hate the Colts. I think it's <laughs> hilarious that they're out of the playoffs. But it's just, if you're, a, if you're an Indianapolis fan, you're sitting there looking and going, what the hell was that? Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's top five worst loss in Indy Colts franchise history, <laughs> like, easily, I think. Uh, in the NFC, I will come back to the AFC, but we have to save that one for last. In the NFC... <laughs> Uh, the San Francisco 49ers down 17 early uh, in Los Angeles, kind of. That was like 75% 49ers <laughs> fans, which was bizarre. 
come back to beat the Rams, take a playoff spot, say bye to the Saints. At the same time, Arizona Cardinals lose at home to the just going nowhere Seattle Seahawks team. So Arizona cannot steal the West, uh, even though the Rams lost. So that stays the same with the Rams taking the division, and then Arizona and San Francisco will be the two uh, two wild card spots from the AFC or the NFC West. Excuse me, joining the Philadelphia Eagles, who will be the seventh seed in that game. But the the game that we need to discuss here is the Sunday night matchup between the Chargers and the Raiders in Las Vegas. Uh, this at this point in time when the game started was if the Chargers win, really it was whoever if Chargers win they're in, and the Raiders are not. If the Raiders win, the Raiders are in, and the Chargers are not. And if they tie, both teams will be in, and the Steelers will be out. And it kind of was a joke for a couple of days leading up to the weekend because there aren't many ties in the NFL. And it would sort of be unheard of to watch teams like kneel a game out <laughs> to tie, uh, which you don't see a lot of in the NFL, as shown by the Jacksonville Jaguars winning a game against their best interests for a number one seed, so or a number one draft pick, excuse me. Teams try in the NFL, uh, <laughs> even in situations where it may not be to their direct success. But the game was odd jace the (laughs) raiders start out with a comfortable lead they're making all the plays uh herbert's got like sad little kid face on the sidelines but then things change and herbert makes throws i've never seen i mean i think this i've seen clips of him throughout the season i obviously watched the game they played against the ravens which at this point is the ravens signature win of the season i guess (laughs) But as the game got later and later, and then eventually it goes into overtime, you've seen it, some of you, you've heard of it, most of you. Herbert is is making plays I've never seen before. You talk about I was on the floor watching the end of the Ravens-Steelers. I was standing up in overtime because of how amazing he was and how many throws he was making, how many plays he was making. And it's sort of like, I listen, I do not think the overtime rules need to be changed. But in this particular game... You cannot tell me that Herbert would not have tied the game in every other opportunity if he could get another possession. It just felt at a certain point he was not going to be stopped. He was not going to be denied, Jace. All the fourth downs, he's making ridiculous throws. They were getting to fourth downs only because receivers of his were dropping a lot of his throws that were like bullets in the perfect spot, like low and away, so that a defender couldn't touch him, but they were too hot for the receivers. And it was like a, like a religious experience, watching Herbert in a, like a must-win game. And then we'll, you take it from there. We can, we can talk about the ending, but take it from there. He is sensational. I don't, you never want to say some guy's the next Mahomes, because I think he's, Patrick Mahomes has set, set such a high standard. But, I mean, what Herbert can do throwing the ball is almost unmatched. His arm strength is insane. I mean, you mentioned it. They go up 29, the Raiders go up 29-24 after, frankly, I thought a bad Herbert interception. And I even told uh, my coworkers, I was like, um, or my coworkers, my friends I was watching the game with, <laughs> former coworkers. They can be both, Chase. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, we work together in some capacities. But uh, um, the guys I was watching the game with, uh, like, I thought that was game when he threw that pick. And the Raiders go up 29-14 to with just over eight minutes to go. You're like... Closing time. But you said he was so money down the stretch. And 
I mean, you touched on it, Antonio, but on the game-tying uh, field goal drive um, for the Chargers, which we should note was an 18-play drive <laughs> to end the game. Uh, 19 plays, 83 yards in 206. Very strange sequences of events, as you mentioned. Uh, a lot of fourth downs. Justin Herbert convert, converted fourth and 10 at the Chargers 17. They got a uh, defensive holding on fourth and 10 at the Chargers 28. <laughs> they could later converted a fourth and 10 at the Vegas 43. Uh, and that was just to tie the game and set it into overtime. And then in the overtime, the Raiders kick a field goal. The Chargers get the ball back. They convert another fourth and nine at their own 26. <laughs> or at, at the 26. Uh, or their own 26 for a big play. It was, it was insane. It was... Truly something I've never seen before. And like you said, like you, I was standing up at several points uh, throughout this fourth quarter and over time. Um, and uh, you, you mentioned the Thai the, the discourse, the Thai jokes, uh, did play a factor in this game. You know, uh, Brandon Staley has been famously aggressive this season, uh, but facing yet another fourth and six uh, with 4.30 to go in overtime, uh, the Chargers kicked a 41-yard field goal uh, to tie the game back up. Uh, because if both of these teams tied, they both made the playoffs. And I think in a different scenario, as aggressive as Staley is, he might have gone for it in that situation, certainly, even if, you know, to uh, a field goal would have tied the game. But I, I wanted the tie so bad. I was rooting for it so hard, because uh, there would have been nothing funnier in my entire life than if the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Ravens, think they're going to the playoffs, and then the Chargers and Raiders kicking each other in the shins until they tie the game on accident and uh, make the playoffs while the Steelers stay home. Uh, it's all I wanted, but it was not to be. Jace, we haven't even... There were so many plays. They happened <laughs> so many times. Like, we haven't even finished listing them. They When the, Ra uh, when the Raiders are up 15, and I give Collinsworth a little bit of credit because he was bringing up the overtime stuff very early in this game. <laughs> yes, he was. Uh, I think Al Michaels was sort of rolling his eyes at a certain point because it was like, Literally, we're not even, we're not, there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet. Like, this is so weird. He kept sort of like negating the idea. And then it gets closer and closer. The, when the Raiders are up 15, it's a fourth and 21 is the touchdown <laughs> to make it an eight point game. No, excuse me, to make it a nine point game. Then they go for two, which they also get on an awesome throw to Austin Eckler. Just watch the highlights. Just do it. Like, Austin Eckler's not open. He's not looking for the ball. He was the, and they broke this down, he was the fifth option on the play on the two-point conversion attempt. They get to a seven-point game, and the touchdown is thrown with zero time left on the clock <laughs> yes, also. Yeah, we did the throw. <laughs> the throw before that, they're on the Las Vegas 29-yard line with 10 seconds left. And Herbert throws this, like, missile to the sideline that Guyton is somehow able to catch. They call it incomplete, but it is complete. It's on the sideline, so he's able to catch it and roll out of bounds to save a couple of seconds. I guess that was with 15 seconds left, and that put it to 10, or 10 seconds put it down to 5. It shouldn't have happened. 15 <laughs> different times this game should have ended, and Herbert made every single play. He was like 15 for 15 in gotta-have-it plays. It was truly 
mind-blowing, and it's so frustrating that he is not in the postseason. Well, yes, in, in classic Chargers fashion, the Raiders win this game with zero <laughs> seconds on the clock. Uh, in a game, again, they tie and they both go to the playoffs, but I respect the Raiders for knocking their longtime rivals out of the playoffs, even if it hurt the Ravens in the or Hurt the Ravens by proxy in the end by not giving us the joy of the Steelers missing the playoffs via a tie on this in the season's final game. But yeah, it's it was very Chargers to hit all that and still lose in the end because because their run defense stunk. Uh, they you know the Raiders seemed pretty content to kind of play it low and slow, and they still couldn't stop Josh Jacobs from running for like ten yards, fifteen yards. Uh, on that well, that was drive. well. That, here's here's the thing, Jason. There's a couple things here. Staley takes the timeout. With 38 seconds left. Um, Basaccia has come out. Rich Basaccia, the coach who, by the way, has done a fantastic job with this Raiders team, I think should get the head coaching role. Um, guess what? Special, owners don't like special teams, guys. They do not like hiring special teams coordinators because it's not a sexy pick. I give you John Harbaugh, Super Bowl champion, special teams coordinator, but a guy who knows how to put a locker room together, which Basaccia seems like he's had to do with all of the stuff that the Raiders have gone through this season, as, as you listening would well know. He said after Staley took the time out, they were like, well, we're going to try something else. They were considering the tie. But I think you're right, Jace. You knock out a division rival with a field goal that sends you to the playoffs and knocks them out. If I'm the Ravens and it's and it's if they tried to tie the Cleveland Browns, I'd burn this podcast down. It would be the end of it. That would be it. We would never I would never do this podcast ever again. If that was the case, you you knock out your division rival. It becomes a storyline. It's a nice thing. I completely agree with you guys about Herbert. He is he's incredible. But the one thing I want to say, and we don't have to go too long on this, because if you want discourse on this, you can read, I don't know, Twitter or old man takes or what have you. But Brandon Staley's aggressiveness. Now, we talk, you know, you, you talk about the one, it was in the third quarter there. I can't, I, I'm trying to find it here. They're on their own, like 18. Yeah, they went yet. for it on the other side of their own 20 at one point. <laughs> their own 18 yard line. It's fourth and one. They go for it. Uh, Austin Eckler, because he's not a power back, gets minus two yards on, on a bad play call. And Brandon Staley, as Jace mentioned, famously aggressive, right? And, and we have analytics, Johnny here with Harbaugh. And like they, two years ago, they hired like the 25 year old econ student to do all his analytics numbers or whatever. You've heard the stories teams go for it now more on fourth down than they ever have. But I think there is, and, and rightly so, I think there's a little bit of pushback. Now the people like Michael Lombardi out here calling Brandon Staley, like basically an absolute joke and nobody respects him, I think is pushing too far one way because guess what we're allowed to have happy mediums mediums and arguments people it's not always black or white in fact it's never usually black or white i think and and rightfully so and and you know we talked about the two-point discourse the ravens this year there might be a little bit of pushback on this whole well the numbers tell me 65 percent of the time it's this we should go for this so we're going for it and the human element's going to start to come into the conversation a little bit. I think Staley's a good coach. I think he learns from it. I think this is one of those things where he, if he's smart enough, molds his game to it and doesn't just be the whole pedal to the metal every fourth down, we're going to take it type of guy and kind of tries to read the room a little bit. But that, that's been the discourse on Monday as we record, and I think it's an interesting point to see how the league next year, maybe even in the playoffs here, adjust to this whole you got to go for every fourth down thing. And the final just Chargers thing I have is it is crazy. Like Justin Herbert is clearly one of the next great up and coming quarterbacks, but now 
you know, we, we spent, I feel like, you know, this podcast, not complaining, but I, th- I think rightfully saying some issues with the Ravens. And uh, to think that this is the first year the Ravens have missed the playoffs with Lamar Jackson and the Chargers have a guy who broke the rookie touchdown record last year, broke the franchise single season touchdown record this year, is clearly one of the five, like one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league five on his best days top five and they have yet to make the playoffs is not ideal and they have good pieces so you know it can always be more frustrating elsewhere as the things i realize sometimes watching other nfl games all right i was gonna uh i'm gonna preview or at least look at the playoff matchups that do remain uh, after the dust settled on sunday night but first i'm gonna do the quick quick news bit here and then we can combine the playoff matchups with our with our gambling picks into one segment. So the last thing that we wanted to talk about with the NFL is uh, it is it you're listening to this on a Tuesday, but it is Black Monday, and there were several coaches fired the Monday after the end of the NFL season, as as is tradition. Uh, and we're gonna go through a couple of them. I guess you guys can pick uh, which one of yours you're maybe most uh, confused by, or is the funniest one, or the the most. Uh, unsurprising so it's Matt Nagy uh from Chicago he's out uh as is uh the GM uh Ryan Pace uh Brian Flores out as the Miami Dolphins head coach Mike Zimmer out in Minnesota and actually he didn't even make it to Monday Vic Fangio as I uh, mentioned earlier in the episode out in Denver uh so guys which of uh, which of these four uh, maybe is most notable for you uh, Flores definitely is the most notable for me because, you know, I think the Dolphins did have a disappointing season according to, like, based, I guess, on what some people projected, but I don't know that you can really view it that way too much because this team started one and seven and then, you know, they finished nine and eight. So they win seven of their last eight games, um, starting against our Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> um, uh, and to me, that's just a sign of of a pretty good coach I think to when when you know things were down certainly for the Dolphins one and seven you, you some people peg you as a playoff contender after they went 10 and six last year um one and seven is disappointing but they became the first team in NFL history to lose seven straight and win seven straight games uh in the same regular season and to just like have that level of fight it, it just seemed to be the mark of a really good coach um you know, Martin, Martin Schottenheimer is like the only guy who kind of did a similar streak before, and he's one of the greats of all time. So, you know, I, I, for me, I, I was just stunned to see Flores. I think he's done a really good job. They went five and eleven his first season, but then they've gone ten and six and nine and eight. And you know, they, this is a franchise that employed Adam Gase for four years. Like, you feel like they just have had such a sort of revolving door at coach. Like Joe Philbin came in there for a while, and just not a lot of excitement. And um, it seemed like Flores was really building something and it was pretty solid. And I was just really surprised by the move. It certainly seems like it kind of came down to, you know, the GM and maybe some of the issues the franchise seemingly has had with Tua Tagovailoa, which might be issues Brian Flores had with Tua because, you know, these constant Deshaun Watson to the Dolphins rumors are coming from somewhere. <laughs> certainly within the Dolphins organization, you would think. So I don't know if it was all tied to this or, or what have you, but, um, it certainly was the one that shocked me the most. No, none of the others were surprising. Fangio had to go, and uh, to answer your other question, is the funniest of the firings for obvious reasons for Ravens fans. But uh, um, Zimmer we talked about. I think he's also a good coach, um, but it was time. 
and Maggie had been a dead man walking for half the season, so um, I wasn't really surprised by that at all, uh, to be honest. Um, and they they uh, probably needed to clean house in Chicago. So, um, yeah, the Flores one's the most stunning one. I, I think if he wants a head coaching job, he's going to be one of the top probably candidates in this cycle because uh, of his unexpected firing. Yeah, I mean... First on Flores, because it's, it's the easy answer. It's definitely GM and owner versus coach thing with the Tua stuff. That's what everybody's reporting. That makes them sense. Flores is a good coach. And let me caveat this with this statement. I think Flores is a good coach. I completely agree with Jace. He's getting a head coaching job somewhere. Look who they beat in their winning streak. I'll leave it there. You can do your own research. They beat the likes of Jake Fromm. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens to start their winning streak is the best win easily of of this Miami run that was like, oh, they were 7-0, and and it was remarkable. And they ended up beating a bunch of nobodies and then a Patriots team that didn't really need the game at, at the end here in Week 18. Um, so take it with a bit of grain of salt. You nailed everything. I think with Nagy, um, interesting, and I've seen it from people that I know that are Bears fans, and you kind of look on Twitter. Ryan Pace is gone as well. They're calling for President Ted Phillips, who apparently remains on as well. They want a full, clean house there. Not going to happen. People in power stay in power because they have friends in power. You all know how this goes. Uh, Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman go as well. That Minnesota job is very interesting to me. I think that team is pretty talented, especially look Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook on offense. you got some defensive playmakers as well. Kirk Cousins only has a year left, so you, if you can deal with one year of Kirk, maybe you try and find your quarterback after that. Um, and then Fangio, I feel a bit bad for, I, and I know the whole Ravens discourse and him complaining, whatever, it, it's fine. I, I honestly don't care about that. <laughs> Fangio, I feel a little bit bad for because John Elway doesn't know how to pick quarterbacks and thinks he knows how to pick quarterbacks. So I, know, I love that Denver job. Whoever gets that Denver job, if they can bring in somebody, somebody to play quarterback for them, I think it's a good job. The one that I think is the most shocking, and, I, and it's not on this list here, and I did mention it, is the New York Football Giants. <laughs> one of the preeminent franchises in the National Football League who over, I think it's the last five years, Jace, you can correct me if I'm wrong, have the worst record in the National Football League. Tied the Giants the, are... Cl- tied with the Jets. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Tied with Both the New York teams have the same record in the last five years, and they're the worst in the NFL. <laughs> and... I want to take a quote from a Giants fan that went viral on Twitter. If you didn't see this, third and nine on their own, and I'm looking at the play right here, four-yard line, the Giants line up in basically a kneeling formation and try and run a quarterback sneak. The, this is at the Meadowlands. The entire place goes after Joe Judge, and some guy goes, quote, this isn't some clown show. Well, I'm sorry, Giants fans. It is a clown show there. If you haven't heard the news, Dave Gettleman has, quote-unquote, retired, the general manager. They have forced him out the door, but they are keeping Joe Judge on. Now, reports, Joe Judge, Mr. Fake Belichick, Fake Belichick 3,609, the the last guy to come out of here, try and be Matt Patricia and be all tough, making guys, these professional athletes, wear full pads and do push-ups in training camp when they're professional athletes and, and have been through this a million times. Basically, now, is the head of a franchise who want him to be part of the GM selection process. Now, there's multiple, there's conflicting reports here. They say Joe Judge is maybe going to help select the GM, but then the GM is going to have autonomy to make sure 
that if they want Joe Judge, they can keep him or they can get rid of him. Now, if Joe Judge is in the selection process of the GM, he's probably going to pick somebody who doesn't want to get rid of him. That just seems like easy math to me. From Jacina Anderson, NFL reporter, he had a meeting on Monday with the Maras and the owners of the New York Giants. I'm told, and this is a direct quote from her, I'm told from the Giants' noon meeting, Joe Judge told the team he's still the head coach. <laughs> There's a sentence. To, to, to the coaches, judges acknowledged a need for, quote, his own self-evaluation and that they'll, quote, have a good team next season and the answers are in this room. Joe Judge is fighting for his job and they're not going to, they're, they're not going to make the move to cut him. And so he's just going to keep making decisions for a franchise that has continually been piss poor. The Giants are a dumpster fire. The Jets have optimism. <laughs> like, if you look on Jets Twitter, the Jets are happy with what they've got. They've got two draft picks in the top 10, I believe. They like what they've seen from Zach Wilson and his progression. They can see some talent. Robert Salah is a good head coach. They have a good guy running the franchise as a GM. Uh, and apologies, I don't have the name in front of me right now, but they've had some strong drafts. Vera Tucker and Becton on the offensive line are great foundational pieces. Um, and the Giants, on the other hand, are just an absolute, absolute dumpster fire. And it comes down to Joe Judge, who thinks he is judge, jury, and executioner when he clearly shouldn't. The Giants, Joe Judge. Maybe uh, GM candidate, Joe Judge, head coach and GM candidate. It worked so well for Bill O'Brien, like uh, one of the last Belichick uh, disciples to get both jobs. Yeah, I I agree with you, Tim. Judge still being there. Even if uh, they bring in a GM and eventually fire him, it's just shocking. Uh, I saw this stat on Twitter today that the Giants are just the second team since 1978, uh, when, which is when the schedule went to 16 games, to lose uh, each of their last six games by at least 11 points. So they're just non-competitive. They threw for negative net yards for the first time by any team in 12 years the other day, <laughs> last week. It, it's horrible, and I can't believe he's still there. Um, but yeah, that, that was that's the most shocking thing of all of uh black monday for sure <laughs> all right with that let's turn now to the playoff matchups do a little uh handicapping do a little picking uh and here is the schedule so two games saturday las vegas at cincinnati that lines cincy by six and a half the new england patriots going to buffalo uh, on saturday night that's buffalo by minus four and a half uh, Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Tampa Bay on Sunday. That's the Bucks favored by eight and a half. Later Sunday, San Francisco 49ers head to Dallas. That line is three. Sunday night, Pittsburgh heads to Kansas City. That line is 12 and a half <laughs> or 30, depending on who, who you listen to. And then uh, Monday night, because, of course, we need this. Uh, there's a Monday night playoff game, and it's Arizona at L.A. Rams, and that line is Rams by four. Guys, obviously we'll be watching all of these games, so I'm not going to ask which game are you going to be watching, but which game intrigues you the most, which ones, you know, we're going to kind of combine this into uh, what's going to be the game that you're watching, like the most fun game for you, and then what are some picks that you like and, and some lines that you think may be uh, intriguing. The game I'm most excited for uh, is actually 49ers-Cowboys, I will say. Um, the Cowboys uh, have have been kind of weird against good teams this year. Uh, kind of belo- Their record kind of hides that fact, but they're, they, they went 6-0 against the NFC East and 6-5 against everyone else. Um, and, you know, the Niners, did they do it the most convincingly? Not exactly, but they did fight their way into the playoffs. So a pretty impressive comeback. 
on the quote-unquote road, as you mentioned earlier uh, in the show. Um, and, you know, Jimmy G's dealing with a thumb injury, and he looked awful at times, but then had, had some brilliant plays in leading the, the 49ers comeback. So he, he's a hard a hard guy to figure out. Um, and um, it just, I think the other reason I'm excited is it's, you know, it's, it's 49ers-Cowboys. Um, it's a historic classic rivalry. Perhaps the greatest uniform matchup in NFL. It's an underrated one, certainly. With the, I think we'll see a really good one in the Super Bowl. Let's put that out there. <laughs> I think so too, as well, Tim. But uh, um, yeah, I uh, so I'm very excited for that. The other one I'll say is just the NFC West uh, rematch on Monday night. That it's on Monday night is weird. Um, both of these teams won in each other's house this season. Uh, they both kind of, as we I touched on. Um, a little earlier stumbled into the um the postseason the rams had been on a solid winning streak uh but certainly could have been playing this game elsewhere if the the cardinals had also laid an egg uh so to just for both teams to be falling flat stafford's been throwing a ton of picks entering the playoffs including the one that ended the game against the 49ers in overtime when he just kind of tried to heave one up um so I don't know what to expect really in this game. I could see either team winning. Um, uh, you know, the Rams sometimes have had a good home field with fans in, in the stands um, this season, but certainly didn't show on Sunday. So yeah, I think it's just the most, I think that's the game that I have the most uncertainty about which, about which team wins. Cause both teams are incredibly inconsistent entering the, uh, entering the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, 49ers-Cowboys, I agree, is, is kind of the legacy matchup. And it's also the hot hand team, and I'll do my picks here, the hot hand team versus a team that everybody wants to like, but who knows, we'll have to see. Um, but outside of that, man, I'll be honest, a lot of these games don't really intrigue me. I don't love division matchups again in the playoffs for some, for some reason. I, maybe it's just... Like, Pat's Bills, I don't necessarily want to see again unless it's, like, later down the line and they're, like, the fi- part of the Final Four or something. Um, I don't know. It's just a personal preference. E- the Eagles, Bucks, who who knows? It'll probably be another result where, if you don't remember, the Bucks started their playoff campaign against another NFC East team. Taylor Heineke almost beat them, and then they went on to win the Super Bowl annoyingly. The other one outside of 49ers-Cowboys, only because you, you mentioned that one, Jace, I'll go with the first game. Raiders-Bangles interests me. The Raiders are a frisky team, and let's see what this Bengals team is. Let's let's. I want I want to know. I, I just want to know if this Bengals team at a home playoff game shows up, or does this frisky, Rich Bisaccia, Derek Carr led team make some more noise? Because they're going to be a tough out. I really, really think so. Um, do I think so enough to pick them? No. <laughs> Last week I went two and one. My three picks for the playoffs. Speaking of the first game I talked about, and I like the Cowboys. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I do like the Cowboys. But there's something about a mean green football team that runs the ball to the point where they've converted a wide receiver to play running back, and he's become one of the most dynamic running backs in the league. A team with the likes of Bosa, Fred Warner, guys that want to hit you, guys that want to punch you in the mouth. I love a team like the San Francisco 49ers. Has it been consistent? No, as Jace mentioned. Jimmy G played his butt off in week 18 to get them into the playoffs here. Is dealing with some injuries. Can always kind of be the factor for them. But I think overall it's played relatively well 
spurned by the, hey, you guys moved up to pick a quarterback who clearly isn't ready for the NFL at, at number three. So give me Sam Fram plus three against the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know if they win, but I think it's close. Uh, my other picks, too, I'll go to this team, this game that I just said I don't like in the division matchups. It's New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. Now, in the first matchup, Mac Jones only had to throw three times. It's a weird weather game. I think you can probably throw that out. The Patriots have been slipping recently, while the Bills have been kind of getting up to another level, showing that the Bills are maybe ready for this. But something about the Bills scares me. I think the Bills are kind of soft. I think they are. Maybe they figured something out. But four and a half, I know the Patriots have been slipping, but a four and a half point spread in the round three matchup between two division rivals, it's too many points. I don't know who wins, but I'm going to take New England in the points there, plus four and a half. And then my final one, I mentioned it before, and I will wholeheartedly admit it's a complete spite bet. It's Kansas City minus 12 and a half. It's Kansas City minus 16 and a half. It's Kansas City minus 20 and a half. It's Kansas City minus 30 and a half. I want Kansas City to beat the brakes off of Benjamin Todd Bartholomew, <laughs> Allen Roethlisberger Jr., the second, the third, and win that football game and move on, and we never have to hear about Big Ben ever again. I love... <laughs> I wish I wish it were that simple, Tim. But uh, we're uh, I am actually kicking the Steelers to cover the spread. Uh, I do not think they will win this game. I don't think this game will be particularly close. But I think the Chiefs will win thirty-one to tw- something like thirty-one to twenty-one with the Steelers scoring a touchdown on the back door late um, in a meaningless like twenty-play drive. Yeah, Ben gets his touchdown. <laughs> prays it up and then retires with a 10 point uh playoff loss i mean i I get why it's tempting we just watched this game like three weeks ago and the chiefs were up with what 30 to nothing at one point in that game (laughs) and and the steelers gained less than 200 total yards uh in that whole contest so i get the case for it but i just think i think mike tomlin's an excellent coach and in a rematch he'll find a way to at least keep it kind of close but never never to the point where the chiefs uh are, are, are in doubt um, because, as you mentioned, I think you alluded to there also my pick to eventually go to the Super Bowl <laughs> once again. Um, but uh, so I, I'm picking the, the, the Steelers to cover there. Uh, I'm also going uh, against the Bengals. Um, I, again, I think they will win, but I'm covering, picking the Raiders to cover the six and a half. Um, I do think the Bill, the Bengals find a way to get their first playoff win in 30 years, 31 years. Um, but uh, there's just something weird with this Raiders team. They've won four straight games to even make the playoffs, and all of those have been less by been by less than four points. Several on game winning uh, field goals by Daniel Carlson against the Browns. They won 16-14. They beat the Broncos 17-13. They beat the Colts 23-20, and then the 35-32 victory Sunday night was very strange. Um, but I think they'll play it close, and I think for both teams, because you mentioned this is inexperienced for both sides. Derek Carr's never played in the playoffs. The one time the Raiders made it in his career, he broke his leg, unfortunately, in the weeks leading up to the postseason and wasn't able to play in that game. So we have two quarterbacks who've never started a playoff game, uh, two teams very low on playoff experience, and I just find I think the Raiders are just going to find a way to cover uh, in that scenario. Um, and then my final pick... Um, official picks here is I am taking the Tampa Bay Bucks to just hammer the Eagles. I <laughs> minus eight and a half. I, I think this set up so well for Tom Brady. It's very annoying. <laughs> they get the two seed. Uh, they're playing the Eagles. Um, 
even with some of the drama that's surrounded the team in recent weeks, I just, I think it's a nice story. The Eagles made it. They can run the ball a little bit pretty well, historic levels for their franchise. But I, I just, when push comes to shove, I don't see Tom Brady losing a home playoff game to Jalen Hurts. So that's kind, kind of what it boils down to, I think. I think I think at least for one more week, the Bucks' uh, title defense continues. Yeah, I, I'm doing this kind of on the fly because I only liked one pick, and it was a three-team tease. Uh, but I like that very much, so I'm not going to call it a lock because I had <laughs> I had my lock of the year already, and thank goodness we were able to get that. But I, I like moving a couple lines for a couple of games. Uh, the Cincinnati-Vegas game, I agree with Tim. That's one of the more intriguing matchups for me for some reason. It's just like weapons against weapons. And so I'm teasing, that's one of the games that I'm teasing down. I think Vegas had their, like, Super Bowl was the Chargers game. I think there was so much emotional energy spent in just trying to get to the postseason that this is like a win for them. The season is already a win. Uh, and they meet a Cincinnati team that Joe Burrow has obviously turned into something very legitimate. And there's just so many weapons on that side of the ball that I think they outscore them. But I don't like that line, you know, being close to a touchdown. So uh, I'm moving it. And I'm moving it to even. <laughs> so that's one of the games that I'm teasing. Uh, Cincinnati somehow wins a playoff game at home. And and people exalt. Uh, and then they probably uh, lose the following week. But against Las Vegas, against what I think is a tired Raiders team, Cincinnati wins that game. And so that's one of the teased games. I'm teasing the Bucks down to minus two and a half. Uh, Tampa Bay by a field goal at home against the Eagles. Yes, please. So that's one of the other ones in the tease. And then Kansas City, and I, like Tim said, probably would have taken this at 12 and a half, but I'm going to tease it down to less than a touchdown, because at that number, uh, you don't have the guard, the garbage time is less, I think, of an impact, because Kansas City will still be trying. If it's like a 17-point lead that then becomes a 10-point lead, as Jace mentioned, that stuff I see a defense letting up and just looking to next week. But to when you're in a garbage time situation, to make it a one-score game, I have less... Uh, less fear there. So Kansas City down to minus six and a half. So it's Cincinnati even. Bucks minus two and a half. And then Kansas City minus six and a half. Gotta win all three. $100 wins 160 And then I think I'm going against the grain with the Bills pick, Tim. I'm, I have been not impressed with a lot of the stuff that the Pats have done various moments of the season. I think that win over the Bills... It almost has to get thrown out. It like wasn't even a football game. Could the same weather happen in Buffalo? Of course, uh, but I I'm gonna anticipate that it doesn't get so extreme. Uh, and then I watched the Bills handle the Pats in like a regular football game in in New England and win by double digits. Um, and I did not like what I saw from the Patriots against the Dolphins in that last game. It just sort of flat. Uh, fell behind. They're not really going to be a team that can come, you know, can come back from a ten-point deficit uh, with how they're built. And, and I think the Bills take a lead and hold. And so I like them. I like the Bills covering that minus four and a half. And then yeah, I heard Jace talk, and I hate it, so I have to pick it. And that's just the logic that I'm going with. Brady, Tampa Bay, they blow out the Eagles. They're on a perfect course to go to another Super Bowl, and we're gonna have. Uh, Bucks Packers in a rematch of the <laughs> NFC Championship game, and I'm gonna hate every minute of it because I don't like the Bucks. We talked about that last week, um, but I'm taking Tampa Bay minus eight and a half as well. All right, last thing to do is go over this uh, challenging random <laughs> Raven. So Tim, why don't you give us those clues one more time? 
All right, quickly here. This player was drafted in the fifth round of the 2003 NFL Draft by the Baltimore Ravens. While Illinois, this player was a two-time first-team All-Big Ten selection, 2001 and 2002. Uh, clue number three, during his nine-year NFL career, he played for the Ravens, Jaguars, 49ers, Browns, and Raiders in that order. Clue number four, in his third season with the Ravens in 2006, the 13-3 and year, he started every game on a Ravens offensive line that also featured Jonathan Ogden, Kedrick Vincent, and former random Ravens Mike Vlynn and Jason Brown. After that season, he was signed by the Jags on the first day of free agency and started 31 of 32 games in his two seasons in Jacksonville. Clue number five, his number has been worn by former random Raven Willie Anderson and current random Ra- or current Raven, excuse me, Ronnie Stanley. And I'll try and I'll, I'm going to do an on-the-fly bonus clue here for the both of you. This player shares a first name with a player who the Ravens re-signed late in the year this season. A, f- a former Raven that came back late in the year this season, played a bit of a role, not same position or anything, but they share a first name. So I think I have a name, Antonio. <laughs> I have a first name, but I'll let you, uh, so, I'll let you so take I, it. I was debating between two guys, one who I think will definitely be a future random Raven, so I'll, say, I'll not say him. <laughs> and uh, I'll go with, is because I thought this guy played for the Colts, so maybe I'm wrong, but is it Tony Pashos? <laughs> oh my goodness. It is Tony Pashos. Oh my gosh. Now, Jace, that... I have to know, would you have gotten it without the bonus clue? Well, so I had Pashos in my head for the number, actually. Mm. But I thought he played for the Colts. That's why I was so thrown off. I, um, According to Pro Football yeah. Reference and Wikipedia, I have two sources because I went to journalism school. Uh, no, he did not play for Interesting. the Interesting. That might be – is that it? Have we, have we, like, random Raven peaked? That's, like, the most random yet, like, substantive – I mean, look, we've ever done. I'll put it this way. The last couple of times I've had Tony Pachos, Deron Jenkins, Antoine Barnes, Billy Badjama. Like, come on, guys. Come on. We, we're fine. We're getting into the deep weeds now. Well, I I think I'm next week and I have a very, I think an easy one. I don't think we've actually done yet. So maybe it'll get a little easier next week. Oh, I just pulled up Tony Pash. So many starts for Pashos. Yeah. So many. No, no recollection of being a 16 game starter he, on one of the best Ravens teams ever. Again, I look I what I did here and, you know, to kind of take you behind the curtain listener I looked up the Ravens draft classes, and I was like, I'll pick somebody that the Ravens drafted. And I saw his name, and I was like, perennial backup tackle. Like, that guy was always a swing tackle for the Ravens. And then I looked at his stats, and I was like, oh, no, the year they went 13-3, and three, he started every game at right tackle for them. Just remarkable. 13-3. and three. The year, really the season that got away from, yeah. uh, from this Ravens franchise. Um, yeah, and with that sad note, that's how we're going to close, <laughs> close this uh, loss of a season. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. We're broken men now, but we will be okay in the future. Uh, That's going to do it for Jay Evans and Tim Horsey. I'm Antonio Barbero. We will be excited next week to talk all about NFL playoff matchups for Pod Like a Raven. Thank you all, as always, for listening. We will see you next week.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.